Good morning. It's great to see you all. Les, would you all stand? Let's worship together this morning.
Good morning. Uh, first of all, if there are any visitors or first-time uh, folks here with us this morning, uh, the ushers are going to come down the aisle, and if you just uh, stick up your hand, uh, they'll be quick to give you a little bit of information about the church, and uh, you can stop by the visitor center on your way out and pick up a coffee mug. And for those of you that are here visiting, welcome. Uh, several announcements this morning. The first one, if um, you haven't caught word or paid attention, uh, Pastor Tim is not with us today. He's not feeling well, uh, so I'd hope that we could all hold him up in prayer this morning. Uh, and um, Pastor Matt as well, as um, he pinch hits for Tim. Uh, another announcement, the Christmas program will be uh, part of our service on the 19th of December. So if you have kids in that, just take note. Uh, the youth will be leading the service next week. Uh, youth will have a progressive dinner next week also. They're going to be busy. Uh, so plan on staying after church to bring a change of clothes if you need to. So next week's a big week for youth. Awana will be having an, its annual store, and we have been accepting gifts from the kids that kids can purchase from that store. If you have any items for the store, we need them no later than next Sunday. Um, let's see. Dave Collins is having surgery uh, is it in Illinois or Minnesota? Minnesota. Okay. Uh, and um, his sister is coming in to, wi- to watch the kids, and she needs a ride to Idaho Falls. Is that to go back then? Yeah. On the 13th of December. Um, if there's anybody, just get with Dave. Dave, stick up your hand real quick in case anybody missed that. Um, if you can provide a ride for his sister to get back to Idaho Falls on the 13th, that would be great. Uh, I think that's all of the major announcements. Now one that's um, uh, fun, Jim and Susan Weeks, 46 years tomorrow. I heard if they make it another four years, they're going to have a party here at the church and we're all invited. Um, Because of a little bit of a change in our service today, we're going to do the catechism out of your bulletin. So if you'll um, open up your bulletin, I'll go ahead and lead um, questions... 63 and 64. Give you a second to find that in your bulletin. Question 63. Which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is honor thy father and thy mother, that the days may be long upon the land which the Lord hath Question 64. What is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requireth the preserving, the honor, and the performing of the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Thank you. Uh, We're going to go ahead and um, pray over our prayer requests that you've seen in the bulletin. Uh, And for those who aren't here this morning, I think there are other people that aren't feeling well this morning. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and lead us in prayer before we um, uh, take up with our praise and and worship. Our Father in heaven, I pray that uh, in this world of sin uh, that corrupts our bodies, that you would just uh, help us to filter out the pollution of this world, whether it's the media uh, or all the other things, that we would just uh, be cleansed of that pollution that we would be healed of the sickness of ourselves and that we would seek your glory and your honor today 
and throughout the week, that we might be a shining light um, individually and corporately to those outside of these walls. I pray for those who are unable to be here this morning, Lord. Pray that you would heal them, restore them, and bring them back to us. I pray for our hearts, Lord, that we would just seek you, that we would worship you, and we would be a blessing to you. I pray your blessing upon this service. I lift up Pastor Matt. I pray for Pastor Tim. We know that his heart uh, would want him to be here. I just pray for his body, Lord, that you would restore him and bring him back to us. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas season, the songs that we sing, and uh, I'm just going to ask you to stand as we worship the Lord, and truly worshiping the Lord as we sing the songs surrounded by Christmas.
Well, it's always an opportunity to bring the Word. Um, I honestly consider it the highest honor to come and to share the Word of God because it is such an honor to be able to bring the message that the Lord has laid on my heart uh, for this morning. Um, I'm going to ask if you would bow with me in a word of prayer as we begin together today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the word that's before us today, Lord, the living word of God, the word that your Holy Spirit takes and uses and, and changes our hearts because of it. Lord, I pray that that would happen. I pray that, that, that there would be a challenge for those who it needs to be a challenge for, that it would be a word of encouragement for those that need encouraging today. Lord, that you would meet us where we are in our own walk with you in that Lord, today would be a special day. 
for it's your word that we're studying today. And so we treat it as it's meant to be treated with holiness and we enjoy it as it's meant to be enjoyed. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Pastor Tim uh, called me on Friday and said, hey, I'm not feeling the best. And so, you know, whenever you're kind of put into that situation, obviously as a pastor, it's to be ready in season and out of season, to be ready to jump into the pulpit. And obviously I wasn't expecting it or realizing that I was going to be in the pulpit. But, you know, whenever that happens, I, I, I'm always working on stuff, always working on sermons and lessons and things like that. But I, oft, I always just kind of ask myself the question, what does the church need to hear? Where are you guys? What do you need to hear? And you know, one of the things that just kind of came around to me as I was just in the beginning stages of where, should, where to go for this Sunday, um, I just thought about all the, the hurt and the pain. We're coming, obviously, off of Thanksgiving, which is great. It's a celebration going into Christmas. But then I thought, you know, there are a lot of people in our congregation that have lost loved ones this year. There are people in this congregation um, that found out that they have cancer. There are people that have other diseases that have come across. There are a lot of people that are probably online this morning that are not here because they have coronavirus or something else that's going on. With them, and so they're not here this morning. So maybe they're tuning in online uh, with us today. And I thought, of course, now we got this big new variant coming out, right? I mean, we got this Omicron, and and there's just like a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of anxiety, not only in my heart, but but maybe in yours as well. And so as I sat and just reflected, Lord, where do you want me to go? I thought I need a promise of God. I need something that in a time when everything seems to be upside down, something that I can hold on to and say, Lord, this is your word, this is what you're telling me, this is what you want me to know, and to hang on to this. Uh, Kind of a word of an encouragement. And we're going to be encouraged, I hope, with the word today. That's my goal, is for you to walk away feeling encouraged because you have a God who loves you. It's also going to be a challenge for you a little bit today because there is, a, there is a command in the word that we're going to see today, a command that you are to fulfill. Are you going to carry that out the way that he asked you to carry it out? And so we will spend some time looking at that today. But, but today is a promise. It's all about a promise that God gives us. N.T. Wright about the passage that we're going to be looking at today here in Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 7. 7 through 11, he, he says this. He says, this is one of the most sparkling and generous sets of promises anywhere in the Bible. You take the Bible and you break it all out. This is one of the most generous sets of promises that you will ever see. Um, Jonathan Pen- Pennington, who is uh, the head of the doctorate program in Southern Seminary, he says this in his book uh, on on the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, this section is one of the most encouraging and hope-giving sections of the sermon through the Sermon on the Mount, but possibly even in the whole New Testament. I, I, my prayer is that this just is such an encouragement for you today. That's really what, what I'm hoping for. Now, uh, normally we would jump right into the text, but I want to set one more foundational principle level before we read the text together. 
And that is, I want to talk a little bit of theology with you. Theology proper. And, and when we talk about theology proper, if you give me a click up here, uh, really I want to talk about the Trinity. Most of you have probably heard of the Trinity, but, but you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, now there's different thoughts of what does the Trinity look like and, and how does it work. And, and there are some people that hold to what is called tritheism, which would be saying that there are three different persons within the Godhead, and there are three different essences. They're different. Three persons, three different essences. Uh, we, we don't believe that. Uh, that leads uh, some people to a concept of modalism. Modalism would say this. There is one God, and he acts out in three different parts. He just, he's, he's kind of just moves, and he's just, a, it's, it's like turning your dryer on into a different mode. Same dryer, different mode, okay? We don't believe that either, okay? What, what we believe is what is called monotheism. Now, what is monotheism? Well, we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons, three distinct persons, but one in essence, and so what you have up here is the Father is not the Holy Spirit, nor is the Holy Spirit the Son, nor is the Son the Father, right? But they are all God, one in essence. Three different persons, one in essence. Now, why is that important, especially with our sermon of where we're going today in Matthew chapter 7? The reason it's so important is because Jesus has always been the Son, we're coming up on a time of Christmas and we remember Jesus being born onto this earth and a lot of times people think, well, now, now he is the son. No. Jesus has always been the son. In, in history future, which has no beginning, there has always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three different persons, one in essence. Okay? But he's always been the son. And that's going to be very important because, because as all eternity that they have been together, they have a perfect relationship with one another. Now that's something we don't understand. Now, my father, I have an earthly father. Most of you know him because when they're not snow chicken, they're here. And of course they're down in Arizona right now being a snow chicken. But but I have an incredible relationship with both of my parents, but my father. There, there are times where I know what my father is thinking. He doesn't have to say anything. I just know what he's thinking. I can look at his face. I can, through past conversations, know what he's thinking. And, and we know each other very well. But it's not perfect. It's not perfect. I would like to say that I know all the time what he's thinking. I don't always know what he's thinking. But that's very different than Jesus. Jesus knows the Father perfectly. Jesus knows the heart of the Father perfectly. He knows the character of your Father. He knows what He's like. He knows what He desires. He knows what He wants from you. And today, Jesus is going to share with us the heart of your Father. And so let me say this. As he speaks to us through the word this morning, you can know with all certainty 
with all certainty, this is the heart of your Father. You can trust Jesus. You can trust the words that we're going to read together. And because it's the Holy Word of God, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read the text this morning in its entirety. We're going to break it down. But I want to read together and ask you to stand for the Holy and the living Word of God. It is living. It is living. And so we read it together. He says this, Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf, will, not, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake? Will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? That is the living Word of God for us today. You may be seated. I want to give you the outline. We just read the text this morning. Val, here's the outline that she has put, us, put up here on the screen for us. We have, in verses 7 and 8, we have an invitation Verses 7 and 8, we have an invitation. Uh, in verses 9 and 10, there is an illustration that we're going to get into. And then the implication comes in verse 11. And the implication actually is going to run us right into communion today. you notice we didn't take communion at the beginning of our service. We will take it at the end of our service today. Um, this is the outline of where we're going. And so um, we're going to start with verses 7 and 8, looking at the invitation because he is going to give us an invitation here in the test. He says this again, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Uh, right here in the, the beginning, you will take notice of three very important words. They are verbs in the text. If you will look here at the red, you have... Ask, seek, and knock. I highlighted it in red for you. You'll see it in verses 7 and verse 8. Uh, these are verbs that are in the present active tense. And that's going to be very important. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But there's also a corresponding threefold promise for each of these verbs. I'm taking you all of a sudden all back to English class. Don't worry. I'm not that intelligent. You can hang on to this. Trust me. We have a corresponding response with the verbs that he gives us. He says, I want you to ask, I want you to seek, and I want you to knock. But he says, when you do that, when you ask, it will be given to you. When you seek, you will find, and when you knock, it will be open to you. Now, this is important that these verbs, they're written in the present active tense. They are imperative verbs. Now, what does that mean? Well, there is what's called present active tense, but there's also aorist tense in the Greek. Okay, now what does aorist tense mean? Well, an aorist tense would be that it is a command, but it is a one-time command. Okay, so we could say it this way. Bob, shut the blind. Now, don't do it, Bob. Sit there. I could say, Bob, shut the blind. Okay, 
Now, Bob would get up, and what would he do? He would shut the blind. That would be the aorist tense. Or I could say, Maxine, pick up the hymnal. Now, that is a one-time act where Maxine would pick up the hymnal, right? And she would have it, okay? That is not the tense that's being used here in these verses. We have what is the present active tense, not the aorist tense. And what that means to us is that he's saying, I want you to do this, I want you to ask, I want you to seek, I want you to knock, but I want you to continue to do it over and over and over and over. And don't stop. Keep doing it over and over and over. So literally, if we wanted to translate this maybe a little bit to make, to make a little bit more sense of it, he's saying, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on, oh, don't stop. Keep on knocking and it will be open to you. That's what he's saying in this verse. He's saying, your heavenly father, Jesus is telling us here, he's saying, your heavenly father is giving you a command. It is a command. Don't miss that. It is a command that he's saying, I want you to ask, but not just ask, but keep asking. I want you to seek, but don't stop seeking. Keep seeking. I want you to knock, but I want you to keep on knocking consistently, persistently. Keep doing it over and over and over. These are, this is the time of year where um, I used to take my kids when they were smaller. Um, we go over to Idaho Falls because it's beginning of December. Christmas time is quickly approaching. Um, when my kids were small, they had Toys R Us over in Idaho Falls. You remember that? Okay, it's closed now. Some of your parents are rejoicing over the fact that Toys R Us is closed. But we would take our kids to Toys R Us. Okay? Can I just say I hated to go to Toys R Us? <laughs> hated it. You know why? Because we get in there and we start walking through the toys. Now, I kind of wanted to see what my kids were interested in. You know, if I wanted to buy them a gift for Christmas, I wanted to see what was the one thing that really stuck out to them that maybe I could get for them. But as we're walking through the aisles of Toys R Us, what are they asking? Dad, can I have this? Hey, Dad, how about this? Could you get this for me, Dad? Like, it is constant. And some of your parents are nodding your heads because you understand this. It is this constant agonizing time of walking through the halls, of them asking over and over and over and over. And it actually drives you crazy. Because you get out of there and it's finally like, oh goodness, I'm finally out of Toys R Us. I hated it. Because they kept asking over and over and over. Can I tell you, what? that's not the heart of God. He loves when you're asking. He's telling you, he's giving you a command. He's saying, I want you to ask. Please ask. Please seek. There's actually here in, in, in the text, he's actually, it's actually a growing thought here. He's going from just asking to really like another level up to seeking. To at the, at the top where you're just, it's almost a pleading, you're, you're knocking over and over and over again. 
And he's saying, I want you to have that. I want you to be coming to your Father like that. Because guess what? When you ask, you will receive. When you seek, you will find. And when you knock, the door will be opened to you. And so we, we get to this, this section and, and it's like, well, how does, how does this fit together? Because, okay, I, I see what you're saying, but, but how often when we, when we do this, does it not work? You ever been there? I mean, why, why, if he's asking us to do this, why don't we do it all the time? Because sometimes it, it, I think probably two, there's two objections. Maybe the first one being, God already knows what we want. Why am I going to pray if he already knows what he wants? I mean, he's sovereign. He's already made the decision of, of what he wants to do and how he's going to do things. Why pray to him? Why pray to him? The answer, I, I think, first of all, starts with the fact that he just asks us to. He just asks us to. He, he wants us to pray to Him. He wants us to walk in obedience to Him. But maybe another part of it is that God somehow is orchestrating and working through your prayers. I, I don't want to act like I understand how this exactly works, because I, I, I don't. But James, we're going to see in the text a little later on, James says, you have not because you ask not. In other words, there are times where desire, the Father desires to give you something, but He's not going to give it to you because you simply don't ask Him for it. I love what Scott McKnight, he, he says it this way. He says, I believe that the broad sweep of the way in which prayer works in the Bible teaches us that God, in His sovereignty, has established a kind of contingency in the universe. And that God genuinely interacts with humans who pray in such a way that the universe changes as a result of our prayers. I don't understand this. God is fully sovereign. He fully knows what's going to happen, what's going to go on. And yet, somehow, He wants to use your prayers to affect your life and the lives of those around you. A perfect example of that, I think, is Elijah. In the Bible. Do you remember in Elijah? You can see it in chapter 17 and 18 of 1 Kings. We, we have this situation where he doesn't pray that it won't rain on the earth. And it doesn't rain for three and a half years. That's a long time, by the way, my friends. And after three and a half years, he prays again that it would rain. And all of a sudden, what happens? The floodgates open up. And you have tons of rain. Now, how did that work? I, I, don't, I don't know. Other than the fact that I know that God desires us to speak to Him, and when we speak to Him, it says, you ask, you're going to receive. You seek, you're going to find. When you knock, the door's going to be open to you. And so He asks us to do it, regardless of necessarily if we truly understand how it works. But, but again, I, I think sometimes we, we simply don't want to pray, or don't pray. Maybe it's not don't want to pray, but we don't pray because... I tried that. It didn't work. I tried that and it didn't work. I, 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 I tried to ask him and I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get maybe what I wanted. Now, when we go into the issue of prayer, there are, there are a couple of things that we need to get straight. We need to understand that 
that our position and who we are has a way of affecting God's response when it comes to the issue of prayer. First of all, uh, you can give me a click up here. First of all, we need to be believers. God says many places in the Word that He doesn't hear the prayers of the unrighteous. So if you're in here and, and you're like, I'm not sure about this whole God thing, and all of a sudden you come down with cancer and you're said, well, God, for the first time, I know it's been many years, but guess what? If you don't have a relationship with Him, you're talking to a doorpost. Now, I don't want to put God in the box and say that He can't hear you, but, but just read this verse here of Isaiah 53. as This is an example. By the way, there's lots of them. He says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor is his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So that he does not hear. Fascinating as well, I just want to take you back because we're reading, I'm jumping us right into the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus, he calls his disciples when he's speaking to them. So, so in, this, in the overall structure of this, when he's saying, I want you to ask, seek, and knock, he's speaking to his disciples. Now there's other people there, I'm sure, just like there are in this room today. But he's speaking specifically to those, right, who have a relationship with the one true God. And he's saying, I want you to ask, and I want you to seek, and I want you to knock. Here's, here's maybe another one. How about obedience? Obedience has a way of affecting our prayer life. 1 John 3, 21 and 22 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. But whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. So there is some aspect here that we should be walking in obedience. How about the next one? Right motives. James 2, the end of verse 2, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, he says, You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not you do, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Why? So that you may spend it on your pleasures. God, I got this, uh, you know, this lottery ticket, and I pray, Lord, that you would bless me so that I can have lots of money. Now, is that, a, is that a prayer that your, your Heavenly Father is going to answer? You're asking with the wrong motives. It's not really about anybody else. It's all about what you want. So we need to be asking with the right motives. The last one here that I'm going to throw up here is, is being double-minded. James 1, 7 and 8, he says this, For that man ought, uh, ought now to expect that he will receive... I'm sorry, I typed that wrong. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. See that word, uh, double-minded? Okay? The, the Jewish mindset was that, that, that their whole body was, was together. Okay? And we think of it, okay, I have my heart, I have my mind. That's not the Jewish thinking. That's not how they, that, that's not how they operated. The heart and the mind, they were one. So when he says double-minded, think of it this way, double-souled. Is your soul divided? Like, I'm kind of serving God here, but I'm kind of doing my own thing here. Are you double-souled? If you're double-souled, don't expect to receive something from the Lord, even when you ask. 
And when you seek, don't expect to find. And when you knock, don't expect the door to be open if you're double-souled. Why? Because he wants you to have all of your soul, all of your mind, all of who you are dedicated to him in walking with him. And those are very important things for us to understand when we're looking at this passage and this concept of what it means to ask, ask, seek, and knock. Now, he goes into this illustration, verses 9 and 10. He says, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake? Will he? And I thought about how can I, how can I make this applicable, at least for us today. So I brought fish. Now, I didn't bring a stinky fish. I bought Swedish fish. It's the only thing I could think of that would, that would kind of work. And so when, when a child, see, they're sitting there. They're sitting on the slopes of the Sea of Galilee. They're looking down to the water. In their dietary, the way they, the way they ate, fish and bread were kind of the stable blocks of life. That's what they ate. And so if you have a child that says, hey, Dad, I'm hungry, because we get that and they get it too, right? We all get that when, when a child says he's hungry. What, what, what child is going to say, hey, Dad, can I, have a, can I have a fish? And the father's normal response would be to what? Give him a fish. So, young man, would you like this? Okay, I'm going to try your brother. And he will share with you later, I'm sure. Okay? Maybe he knows where I'm going. I don't know. Would you like this? Can I give this to you? I'm going to give you a rock instead. Suck on that for a while and just see how that is. Okay? That's what the text is saying. Now, that would be totally cruel. So, now, now you, young sir, would you like this? Well, now what good dad is, is going to say, hmm, well, I can give you this. No, I'm going to reach into this hole right here. I'm just going to grab a snake. Here you go, kid. Have a snake. Now, no good father would do that, by the way. There's that. You can keep the snake, too. You can keep the rock. I'm sure you're going to be really excited about keeping the rock. A good father doesn't do that. A good father doesn't do that with his children. By the way, uh, we have another parallel passage to this that comes in the Gospel of Luke. I want to show it to you. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's another one. We get another, uh, another layer here with this one. He says this in Luke 11, verse 12. He says, Or if he asks for an egg, will he not give him a scorpion, will he? So if you have a child and he asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? Now, this is interesting because most theologians think there's a little bit of a play on words here uh, with the idea of an egg and a scorpion. Uh, he's, he's, he's laying out for us, I think, a pattern here of what the Father desires to give you. Okay? Uh, first of all, he's, he's telling us, hey, you know what? He's not going to tell you suck on a stone when you're hungry. He's going to take care of you physically. Okay? Uh, we're going to talk about this, this, this one here with the snake here in a second. But there's also this one right here. Many theologians think there's a little bit of a play on words here because of the possibility that a scorpion can look like an egg. 
It can look like an egg. Let me show you a picture here. Here's a scorpion. By the way, when, when they have babies, their babies crawl on their back and they're always white. And so when you look at a scorpion, it looks a little bit like what? An egg. You see that? So some theologians think that there's a little bit of a play on words here of, of what Jesus is doing when he describes the fact here of, of an egg. Now, did I lose my mic? Well, we'll just keep going. Oh, there. Wow, I heard myself. Um, what is he doing here? Well, first of all, he's, he's taking care of the fact of he's saying, I'm going to take care of you physically. Don't ever worry. Your father is not going to give you a stone when you're, when you're in need of something physical to take, to take care of you. But, but this other one, this idea of snakes, some people say, oh, well, it's a serpent, and so it's poisonous, and so God's not going to give you some poisonous. Actually, probably is not the case with that. Let me show you another verse that comes out of Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 42. This is a verse which is dietary laws of what they are allowed to have and what they're not allowed to have. He says this, whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet... Any swarming thing or things that swarm on the ground, you shall not eat, for they are detestable. In, in other words, I think what he's saying here is he's saying that your Heavenly Father is not going to neglect your spiritual needs. Because you're not supposed to eat snakes. Okay? The other one, maybe with the snake and the scorpion, I think, could be him saying, your Heavenly Father who gives good gifts, as we're going to see, is not there to trick you. He's not there to get you an egg and then it's actually a scorpion. He's not to trick you. Your Heavenly Father is not going to trick you when you come to Him, when you ask, when you seek, and when you knock. Now, there's the, there's the illustration. Now the implication. He says this in verse 11. He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Very interesting. He calls us fathers evil. I don't like that word. I don't like the fact that I'm evil. Am I really evil? Uh, this is the Greek word here, paneros. Um, it, it actually is stronger than evil. You might have liked the idea of being evil because actually it's, many, it's often translated wicked. You are wicked. It also, though, can be translated that you are sick and that you have a disease. You know what he's doing here is he's comparing who we are as humans, as fathers on this earth, and he's comparing that to your heavenly father. There's a comparison. And when you look at your heavenly father, you know what? We're nothing. We're nothing. We are diseased. We are sick. We are wicked, comparable to our Heavenly Father in heaven. That's, that's I think, is, is what he's trying to tell us. And yet, when we think about human life, and we think about being a father, think about how our whole lives revolve around children. As a parent... What is the thing that you love the most? I would say your spouse, if you're married, or your children. Don't get in the way between mama bear and baby bear. 
Right? Why? Because of the love that's found between a parent and a child. And he is saying, your best relationship is evil, is wicked, compared to my love for you. That's what he's telling us. I love you so much. And the things that that I do, he's saying, it's good. My relationship, my love, it is good. We're going to talk about that here in, in, in a second. Why does he call us wicked? Why does he call us wicked? You know why? Because of selfishness. Think about a relationship with a, a parent with a child. Uh, a parent with a child, you, you walk into a toy store, and they're asking, and they're asking, and you get what? Annoyed. I just expressed that to you when I walked into toys. You get annoyed. Why? Because I don't want to be here. Now, all of a sudden, it's now off of them, and it's now on who? It's on me. How about this one? When my kids, when they, when they don't obey, and when, when they don't do what they're supposed to do, what I tell them to do, all of a sudden, what happens? I'm getting angry, Right? Now, they should do what they're supposed to do. Kids, do what your parents tell them to do, for this is right, right? But, but if they don't do, I'm gonna, all of a sudden, I'm going to start getting angry. I'm going to start doing things that I shouldn't do. I may lash out at them, right? Why? Because it makes me feel better, right? How about this one? I was, I've been thinking about this one. Caleb's getting ready to go off to college, which is crazy to me. He's 18 and getting ready to go off to college, and I am a type A personality, and my son is not a type A personality. So I'm a little bit of like, okay, we've got to get these applications in for colleges, and we've got to really start working on trying to get scholarship money, and like, i, I got all these things that are going on because I have high hopes for my son. I think every parent does, right? I have super high hopes for him. Why? Because I want him to accomplish what I could not accomplish. Really, what is it all about? It's really not about him. It's about me. It's about me. I think, I think, can I say it this way? I've got a bad seed in me. And it's the issue of, of wanting to be right, of wanting to make myself first. Can I say it this way? There is no selfish seed in the love of your Father in heaven towards you. There's no selfish seed. He's not doing something in a selfish way at all. He uses the word here, he says he is good. Okay? This is the uh, Greek word agathos. And and it means well, it means benefit, it means good. Um, It's kind of a generic term, good. My grandfather, we always used to go out and he would sit there and he would eat something and if he said it was all right, that meant it was really bad. Like you give him a burger, is it all right? If he says it's all right, it's bad. Now if he said it was good, like yeah, it's good. That meant it was okay. If he said it was excellent, now that's really good. If he says, oh, this is excellent, then you knew you had a winner. Okay, that's how my grandfather worked. So when we see the word good here, we all define it in different terms, right? That's good. That doesn't mean great. But actually here in the text, it actually does. 
Jesus here is not speaking in Greek. When he's talking to the crowds of the people that are there, he's not speaking in Greek. He's speaking in Aramaic, okay? Which is totally different than the Greek language that we're reading right here. In fact, it's actually a closely link, of course, to Hebrew, okay? The Hebrew word for good is the word tov, okay? We find it and we see it a lot, especially in the book of Genesis. He created all things and he said it was what? Good, tov. Now that word tov, that has a dip, different implication than, than simply our concept of it's all right. His, his concept of tov, of, of him saying that, is that it was whole. It was complete. Ready? It was lacking in nothing. It was lacking in nothing. He is saying here in the text, he is saying, your father is going to give you good gifts, meaning they are gifts so that you are lacking in nothing. You are lacking in nothing. Which makes me ask the question, are you really lacking in anything? Well, I've got this situation. I mean, I, I got cancer. Or I got this disease. Or I have these fears and this anxiety. And Let me ask you, are you really lacking in anything? Are you really lacking in anything? Your Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father is doing everything to make sure that you have exactly what you need. I feel like I've been dealt a bad hand. Let me, let me just, if you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand by God, let me just tell you this. You have not been dealt a bad hand by God. You know why? Because as His child, He will not give you a bad gift. He is not going to give you a scorpion when you ask for an egg. He is not going to give you a rock when you ask for a fish. And He is not going to give you a snake when you ask for a piece of bread because he's a good father he will care for you and you will be lacking in nothing John Stott he says it this way he says perhaps we could put the matter in this way being good our heavenly father gives only good gifts to his children being wise as well he knows which gifts are good and which ones are not We've already heard Jesus say that the human parents would never give a stone or a snake to their children who asked for bread or fish. But what if the children, through ignorance or folly, were actually to ask for a stone or a snake? What then? Doubtless an extreme irresponsible parent might grant the child's request, but the great majority of parents would be too wise and loving. Certainly our Heavenly Father would never give us something harmful even if we ask for it urgently, and maybe even repeatedly, for the simple reason that he gives his children only good gifts. So then, if we ask for good things, he grants them. If we ask for things that are not good, either, um, either because they are not good in themselves, or they're not good for us, or for others, if they're directly or indirectly, immediately or ultimately, he denies them. And only he knows the difference. We can thank God that, he, that the granting of our needs is conditional. 
Not only in our asking, seeking, and knocking, but also on whether what we desire, ask, and seek, and knock for is good. Thank God He answers prayer, but thank God He sometimes denies our requests. Isn't that the truth? Because we don't always know if we're asking for good things, and He knows. Let me ask you, why do we not talk to Him more? Why don't we talk to him more? You, you do recognize he's, he's giving us command to ask, seek, and knock. And he's saying, do it over and do it over and do it over. I want you to bug me to death with your prayers. I mean, that's how I take it, but it's not bugging him. He delights in you coming to him over and over and over again. He desires that. Why don't we come to him? I think part of it has to do with we have this independent mindset. I don't need God's help on this one. I got this one covered. I, I can do this one. I got, I got this handle, God. Instead of falling in humility, understanding that He wants you to ask. You don't have sometimes because you simply don't ask. You need to ask Him. Over and over. Talk to Him. Let him know your heart. He desires to know you. And he's going to work through your prayers. Because he who asks, you will receive. May not be your way, but you will receive. Keep going. Keep progressing in this. I often wonder if sometimes we don't ask because we question if we're really ready to receive what God wants to give us. Scott McKnight, in his commentary, he, he makes this claim, and it's, this one will get you. How many of us do not ask, do not have, because we do not ask, and we do not ask because we do not believe God is good? Mm. Let me ask you the question. Can you believe the words of Jesus when he's talking about the nature of your father? And he said, your father is good and he will care for you. He is going to take care of you. Can you believe that? Do you truly believe that your heavenly father is good? That you are going to be lacking in nothing, no matter what you go through, because you are a child of his. You are going to be lacking in nothing. Can you trust him in that? I sometimes wonder if we don't pray because we don't trust our God. We don't actually think He is good. Will you take Jesus at His word and will you believe what Jesus says to you about the heart of your God? We're going to turn our attention here in a second to, to the table. You, you do realize what Jesus went through, don't you? You talk about getting dealt a bad hand. Jesus, if we went with that analogy, was dealt a really bad hand. Or was he? See, I don't think he was dealt a bad hand at all. Why? Because he understood something, and that was that his Father in heaven was good. He knew the nature of God. 
And so even before, right before his death and crucifixion, he, he asked the Father, he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before me. But not my will, but thine be done. And he went through it. Why? Because he trusted his heavenly Father in heaven. Not only that, when he's dying on this cross, the very last words that Jesus speaks as he's hanging on this cross, on this Roman cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Why do you not just like, I'm done with you, God? Because he knew the heart of God. He knows his heavenly Father. He knows the heart of of his heavenly father. I want to take you to, to two passages. I want you to look at them for yourself. I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is where it gets fun. This is where it's so, such an amazing, amazing thought for us as we head to the table this morning. Romans chapter 8. I want you to look, starting in verse 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, he he says this, For all you are being led by the Spirit of God. These are sons of God. He's speaking to who there? Believers. Why? Because if, if, if you are a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit. That's what he's pointing to right there. He's saying, if that is you, He says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That is the term daddy. We cry out, Daddy, to him. He says, and if children... I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. Heirs also of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Understand that here on this earth, there's going to be great suffering. Our, Our Lord did it. He suffered greatly. But don't miss the fact that our life is now with Christ. We are now adopted as sons. We are heirs, heirs with Christ. I want you to turn to another passage which is going to bring it all together, I think. Go to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, he says this. He says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, right, because of the work of Christ, you've now been raised up with Christ, keep seeking, ask, seek, knock, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. That's very important. Don't be so focused about all this anxiety, all the things that are going on. Focus above. Focus above. He says, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Can, can, I, can I 
say it this way. Jesus' relationship with the Father through the work of Christ has now become your relationship with the Father. Okay, that did nothing to you, so I'll say it again. Jesus' relationship with the Father has now become your relationship with the Father. Can, Can I tell you this? Jesus will not love you more than he loves you right now. You, you can't do anything to lose the love of the Father. You recognize that your life is now hidden in Christ. And you are now heirs. You are adopted. You are his child. And so he looks at you as he looks at his own son. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And he throws that love on his son just like he throws that love on you. You are his children. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he cares for you. That's what this verse is saying. He cares for you. He desires a relationship with you because he loves, for you, because he loves you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. If I can say it this way, the whole Bible, if you wanted to take the whole Bible and you wanted to sum it up, you could say it this way, Jesus Christ has a perfect relationship with his Father in eternity past. And for a moment in time, he comes and he gives up that relationship with the cross. Why? So that you can have a perfect relationship with your Heavenly Father for eternity future. And he did that for you because of his love for you. Because he loves you. A fellow pastor, he he said it this way. If God is for you, then in all that God is doing in the world today, right down to the atoms, whatever God is doing in this moment, God is bending reality around to your eternal advantage. You are walking through a world tilted in your favor because God says it is going to go well with you. And everything you are going to experience in the entire length of your life will only take you more deeply, meaningfully, tenderly into the love of God. That's the reality for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, do you know him? You have to start there. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship? There are some people here, I I guess I prayed every once in a while, you don't have a relationship with him. You can't expect him to ask or to receive from, from a God that you don't have a relationship with. Why? Because he's turning his ear away from you. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. If you are hearing this message today, can I tell you, he, will, he desires to have a relationship with you. The question is, will you finally say it's not all about me and humbly ask him to be your Lord and Savior? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I'm going to ask Mallory to come up here. 
um, to play for us uh, to play for us here in just a second. But we're going to take the table this morning because the table is all about what Christ has done on our on our behalf. And what a wonderful way to I think kind of end our service this morning. We're going to apply our text here in just a second, but but He wants us to come and to take the elements together and to reflect of what He did. He gave up that perfect relationship so that you could have a perfect relationship with Him. He says, remember it. So as the piano is being played, where's Mallory? There she is. Good. I thought, if I have to play, this is not going to go well. I'm going to ask Mallory to play, and as she plays, uh, if you would come to the front, only if you know Christ, only if you made that decision to say, He's my Lord and Savior, would you go and would you come and take the cup, go back to your seat, we will take the elements together. Let's pray. Jesus, during this season of celebration of your birth, we remember the angels singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. We think of Simeon moved by the Holy Spirit as he held you, saying, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Jesus, you have given us the greatest gift of all, salvation. As we come to the table, we take the bread, remembering that you, God, became man to walk among us. And we take the cup, remembering your blood shed on the cross, covered our sins so we can come before God righteous. In Jesus' name. You do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat together.
He then took the cup and he said, in the same way, this is the new covenant which is in my blood. Take and drink together. How do you apply this text? How do you apply the text? I mean, we've got to apply it. We don't just come and sit and get fed and then not be changed by the living Word of God. What does He tell us to do? Ask, seek, and knock. Friends, it's a command. Ask, seek, and knock. Do it over and over and over and over again. So guess what we're going to do? I'm going to give you time to ask, to seek, and to knock. I'm going to give you a time of prayer and, and I'm going to put some verses that are going to come up here on the screen behind me and they may challenge you when it comes to your asking and your seeking and your knocking. But some, spend some time as we listen to a song which I think really gets to the key of what he's talking about this morning. And spend some time with your Heavenly Father.
And he is a good father. He loves his children. He loves us as much as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. Because when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account. And so he loves you. He cares about you. And he wants a relationship with you. The same relationship that he had with Jesus for all eternity past is the relationship that he wants with you now. And can I just say, it's not going to be perfect because we're not perfect. We know that. But it will be perfect for eternity future. And we can count on that. Would you stand as we close out our time in prayer with a prayer of song?